Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel we have Adi Ayngar. Hello. Alan Weimar. Hello. And we have a special guest this week and that is Louis Pilfold. Hello Louis. Hello, thanks for having me. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So we already had you on the show once to talk about Gleam. Now we have you on the show again to talk about Gleam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see a pattern emerging. But yeah, why don't you give your audience a quick round about who you are, if they don't already do that, and why we invited you again. Well, I'm glad you invited me to talk about Gleam, because I'm probably not that good at talking about the other things compared to Gleam. So I, I'm Louis Pilfold, as you said. I've been an Elixir slash Erlang developer for a long time. Roundabout Elixir version one is when I started to get really involved in it. And since 2018, I think, I've been working on a statically typed programming language that runs on the Erlang virtual machine. So we're trying to unify all the stuff that we love about Erlang and Elixir, the runtime, the actors, the fault tolerance, all that great stuff. But also with the the programming experience you get in ML languages like Elm and, and OCaml and to a lesser extent Haskell, you know, that that thing of being helped as much as possible by the compiler. Because I think that's a really fun way to program. And so now it's 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 resulted in this language Gleam, which is um, dangerously usable. Now you should check it out. Dangerously usable. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I always find hilarious, Jose also, when Elixir was new, he, his, because he's a humble guy like you, Louis, he would not say, hi, I'm Jose, well, in creator of Elixir. He would try to find like a round way. Yeah, I, I, along with people have been working on this language. Eventually he just got used to like, okay, you know, I'm, a, I'm the creator of Elixir. So I think you're going to get there too. You're the creator of Gleam. <laughs> I might get there one day. It still feels very weird. I, ver I very much understand that. Especially when people say, oh, is this you've done this amazing thing. And it's like, it's not. I've just spent a lot of time doing it. Like, it's just time. And anyone can do it if they're um, stubborn enough, I think. I think that's the, main, that's the main thing you need to make a language. And maybe stubbornness is a skill that everybody has. <laughs> <laughs> But I actually remember, I think... And it was a few years ago, like on the on the Code Beam in Stockholm. You, there, a few years ago, you did gave a talk about okay, hey, hey, I have this idea, I have this project, I want to do that. And yeah. I, I, I think I even attended the talk. I'm not sure, but I, I do remember me thinking back then, yeah, let let's see what comes out <laughs> of that. <laughs> Giving a talk is easy, building a language is hard, you know. Yeah. Well, if, if you look at the, so the, it's kind of odd because the Gleam GitHub repo is older than the languages. And so if you go to the very first commit, you find that it's a conference talk that I gave at 
Elixir London, which was called uh, Building Your Own Elixir or something like that, I think. And it was like, hey, here's how you can compile. Here's how you make your own language. You compile it to, to Beam Bytecode. And that's really fun. I went, oh, it's amazing. Let's do all these things. And you know, what, actually, what actually I did is I signed up to do the talk before I actually got it working. And then I had like a real panic because I tried to like try and make both a language and a talk before the before the deadline. Just about managed to, just about managed to get it working. Went down pretty well, I think. The talk, and then I just ignored it. And then, but that like sowed the seed in my head of oh, maybe we could do something here. So um, yeah, I think Glean, you could probably squarely squarely blame it on that one talk. Really, mm-hmm. we're very very glad that we had the talk, I guess. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, you've been working on this for quite a while now. Like I said, we already had you in this show to talk about the basics. But something mm. new from, from what I understand in the Gleemosphere, let's call it that, <laughs> has been getting OTP working inside of Gleem, yeah. right? And especially like yeah. message passing and all those kind of things. So from, from what I understand, you kind of you have a working thing there now. Is that true? It is. It kind of surprised me, at least, to be honest, because... I don't know if you've heard this, but I feel like there's sort of a meme, like it's not possible to type OTP or you can't type messages or something yeah, like that. You, you always hear that. And I just took that for given when I started this project. Like I said, oh, I really want typed Erlang. People say, oh, you can't do this. And I go, oh, that's really disappointing. And I just felt really kind of depressed about the whole thing, really. And then after a while, I was like, actually, hold on. Most of the time when we're writing Erlang or Elixir, we're not actually doing OTP. We're just doing functional programming. And then there's mm. like 5%, 10% of replication. This is the axis and everything else just lives inside those. Okay, so like I'll type 90% of the program and then we just do like unsafe casting when it's OTP time. I mean, that's not too dissimilar to what you get in, in like TypeScript and, and all these other gradual languages at the moment. So, okay, we just do that. And then over about two years of, you know, sort of early research and development, I sort of went... <laughs> I kept having, you know, when you're standing in the shower and things just strike you, it's like, oh, hold on, maybe, maybe this is possible. And I ended up sort of tinkering around a bit now. And yeah, as of pretty recently, well, for a while we've had something that works, but was sort of quite awkward and complicated. But with the most recent release of the Gleam OTP library, I think we've got something that is, it works and is also like productive and practical and useful and quite nice to use. So that's, that's pretty exciting. So I guess, how close are we then to having like a, a full application, everything written in Gleam now? Like, I mean, because I, before that, it was, okay, if I want to delve into OTP, right, then I might have to dabble with Elixir or with Erlang or whatever. And now? I think you can do it. I mean, there was a, there was a business that was almost entirely written in Gleam a couple of years ago, but that was, that was by Peter Saxon. He, he's a wild card. He does everything earlier than everybody else. <laughs> so when he made that HTTP2 server, it's like, I'm just going to make my own. I don't need plug. But now that you know, now now the rest of us are catching up with Peter and starting to do more things in Gleam. Like I've got a few little bits in in production that are one hundred percent Gleam. And that's quite fun. I guess that's not too weird because I made Gleam, but there's other people doing it as well. And there's one of the projects I find most exciting at the moment is there is a pure Gleam HTTP one point one server, and they're currently working on HTTP two as well. It's partially inspired by Bandit, the 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 Elixir one. I don't know if you've seen that, but it doesn't use any it doesn't use any Erlang code other than a, a small uh, a little bit of Erlang glue inside their acceptable library. And according to our benchmarks, it is the fastest HTTP server in the entire Erlang world. It's much faster than Cowboy. It's faster than Bandit. It's faster than everything else. Like that to me, that says like, wow, this this is actually usable now. And because it's a web server, it's all OTP and all that jazz. How does that even work though? Because if I remember, we did another podcast together for the Rustation Station, right? I will remember that a while back. Mm-hmm. Now, that would actually help me understand a little bit more about how Gleam kind of works, at least the compiler, right? 
So unless something hasn't changed, my understanding from what I remember a while back was that you write Gleam, you you know co- compile it, but it's actually transpiling it to actual Erlang code. Mm-hmm. So how could something that gets transpiled to Erlang somehow run faster than something written in Erlang? Is it because you guys are missing like a lot of like the the kind of like the nastiness of HTTP? Or you know, it, I'm just trying to understand. There's a few tiny things that would make possibly make Gleam slightly faster. The main one probably be the two main ones probably be that with our labeled arguments, there's no runtime overhead because they're entirely resolved to compile time. So you don't have to like iterate lists and stuff. And we also don't use maps. We use records as like the the, the most common. You know, Elixir has structs. Those are those are maps. We have um, custom types. Those are records. So there's a tiny performance increase there. But like, unless you're in a really hot loop, that's not going to make any difference. So the main the main thing is that. You can just think of Gleam as being the same speed as Erlang, the same way you can think of Elixir as being the same speed as Erlang. It's just that this HTTP server has like a very slightly better design than it has a very similar design to, to Bandit and a very similar design to um, Ellie or Eli. I'm not sure how you pronounce that one, but it has a much better design than Cowboy. So it beats Cowboy just being, being better. I think the the reason it's faster than Bandit is that there is a slight performance bug in Elixir's URI module, which I think is going to be fixed soon. So when that happens, they will have, probably have almost exactly the same performance. But the thing I find really cool about it, it's not that, oh, it's faster because of Gleam. It's like, you have enough power in Gleam now to make an OTP application. You know, you, you, you have enough flexibility to be able to make one that can compete with the best ones that already exist today. So what was your journey then? Like, I mean, like, okay, we are actually at a point where you say, where you can, where you are said it's dangerously usable. <laughs> I love that quote, by the way. <laughs> but what was like the, the journey there? Because I mean, like you said that you had some thorough thoughts, especially about also the OTP mm-hmm. library, right? Maybe were, were there some, some, some points in time where you ran into dead ends? Mm-hmm. I do remember seeing some discussions on, column type i, I I'm, I'm very very bad with, with like type system <laughs> theory so like i prob- probably botched that but i do remember there being a lot of discussion about like how specific things can be working in in the clean discord and i would be interested in like seeing what, what like kind of what was your thought process right like what were the things mm-hmm. where you're like okay this might work oh no it doesn't but then maybe you took some learning away from that so maybe lead us a bit through the story there yes yeah, so I, I think the first thing people normally try to do when they want to apply types to otp and erlang is that they take gen server and they try and make a wrapper around it that's type safe and, and if you look at Alexa, they're not doing it for types but they've done the same sort of thing they take erlang's gen server and they've made the elixir gen server as like a macro layer on top of it that adds no runtime overhead and just gives you a nicer api that's cool we could try and do the same thing like adapt the api to to our needs but and you can kind of make something work ish but it's not super amazing. And I found it, after using it for a while, I found it quite unfulfilling because just because you've got something that is expressive enough to be able to do that, it doesn't actually mean you can really do the same things that you can do inside Erlang OTP. What you really want to be able to do in order to prove that you've got the correct abstraction, I think, is you want to be able to start from nothing and build up to OTP because OTP isn't written... OTP doesn't come with the beam. You know, it's not written in C. It's written in Erlang. You get like send, receive, link, monitor, trap exits, anything else. That might be, all. there might be one or two more um, concurrency primitives, but Erlang has those tiny little C functions than everything else you can build up in Erlang. So I, so at some point in this, in this journey, when actually what we really want to find like the smallest amount of uh, core code, you know, these primitives, which if we were, if we were directly on the virtual machine, it would be written in C, but we're not, we're one layer up. 
It can be written in Erlang. And those functions pretty much just call the, the C versions. If we can find the right type extraction for those, we can build up. And we, we've now done that to such a fashion where we've got the same primitives and we can start implement, We can start working out what the, or rather, we have the same primitives with slightly different APIs. And then it was a matter of working out which API systems of it. So we don't have gen server, but we've got something that is equivalent. It does the same job, has the same power, but has a different API in order to make it type safe. And the nice thing about having the same primitives is that you can just look at the implementation of the the ones in Erlang. Like, okay, well, how does how does gen server work? Oh, it's this message. It's this message loop mixed with uh, proc libs, um, starting process, and the gen modules like sending and replying thing. Cool. I can just implement. I can just convert those things over to Gleam, and I've got basically the same thing. And it's really quite interesting looking inside. It's really quite interesting looking inside OTP because like it's all Erlang code. Like it's all there. Like it, it sort of seems magic, but like it's not actually that complicated when you look inside it. And all the little hairy bits have comments on them mostly, so you can sort of figure out what's going on there. And I kept stumble. I kept finding problems it, when I was building this and discovering that they had already found them and they've solved it in a different way. So a good example of this will be attaching semantic information to messages. And but for me, I mean types. You know what I want mm. to be able to send. I, I have a a process it has a protocol it says i accept this kind of message and this kind of message this kind of message right so i want to attach type information to that so i've got some semantic meaning i want to attach to like a reference to a process how on earth do i do that that's really tricky but if you look inside otp they have the same problem it's not about types but like it's still static semantic information being attached to messages in your inbox and in this case it is replies if I've sent a message to a process and I'm expecting to get a reply and I've got 10 messages in my inbox, how do I know which one of those is the one that is, has the right semantics for, for what I'm trying to do? And the way they do it is with, they have a little, you know, in GenServer, you've got a from, you know, you get the message the from and the state. The from is a, is a tuple with a reference and a, um, and the actual, no, a, a reference and the PID. Well, that's just a way of correlating that little, that's just a tag that correlates with semantic information of the process. So what if we don't use that for just replying? What if we use that all of the time? And now you've got a thing to tie your, your type information to. So we basically just took a pre-existing you know, abstraction inside OTP and just sort of spread it around a little bit more. And suddenly we could build the whole of OTP. I thought that was really cool. And it makes me feel a lot more confident, the fact that we're not inventing things from scratch. Like there's a lot of precedence for all of the abstractions we've pulled out of this. Yeah, that's quite a ramble. Awesome. <laughs> no, but, but I, I was trying to get it to ramble. <laughs> so, so mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, but that makes a lot of sense. It's also kind of interesting. It reminds me of the little OTP, Elixir OTP guidebook, where you also kind of build OTP mm -hmm. from scratch, at least to a certain degree, to demystify some of that. So it, 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 it's interesting to see how, how, how OTP stands the test of time here. It's really fun. Like, may, maybe don't do it in production. Or maybe do if you're Peter, but like re-implement some OTP things, or like you know just just make your own special processes. Yeah, just 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 see what you can do with send and receive and spawn. You can go quite a long way. Um, so I have a question. I mean, or maybe maybe let it, let me phrase it differently. So so how what we say are still some some foot guns or some things where you say mm. okay this is not as yet working as we want it to be working. I mm. mean, one thing which pops to my mind, what I wanted to ask is like clustering and then having lots yeah. of different versions of the app that sounds like a that sounds messy <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, that was another one where I'm like, oh, that's just not possible. That's out of scope. You know, you just, you do it the Erlang way and you just connect it and don't mess up. Like that's the strategy here. Don't make a mistake and you'll be fine. But I, I do actually think after chat with Jose, actually, um, I think this was his idea that you could actually do full type checking of relic of um, you could do full type checking of joining a cluster or of upgrading a cluster if you annotated the clusters with all of the, the type information of the program that they're running. And then and any new node that, node that joins has the same information. And then if you have some kind of it doesn't have to be a full inference algorithm for, for the types but just a unification algorithm. So like you take the you take the type manifest from a cluster, you type the type, type manifest from the node that's joining, you put them together, and then you just unify all the functions to make sure that they line up. If you do that, you could have completely safe upgrades. And that would probably make, you know, because you've got to do a lot of work to be confident that your upgrade is going to perform as it should. You could actually probably, if you implemented that, make it easier to use upgrades than it currently is, which I think is really quite exciting. I, it's something I haven't even started trying to do because, yeah, I've got a whole language to work on and I don't use, yeah, I don't deploy like that. So it's not very useful for me, but it's a, it's a problem you could solve in, in the same way. Distribute, yeah, it's tricky. Distributing is, dis, distributing computing is something we'd love to solve with types, but there's only, only so many battles that I can um, take on. I'm hoping that if I say this on enough podcasts, somebody else will do it. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> So yeah, steal that idea. Message me or maybe Jose if you want some further thoughts. Yeah, I also think my, my personal opinion is is that some of these discussions about clustering, about hot code clips, get more coverage than what they're worth, to be honest. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, hot code upgrades are cool. Like I, I agree, but yeah. I have never used <laughs> yeah. in production. It's, like, it's amazing we can do that. Like if you have one computer that lives up a telegraph pole on in a yeah. you know remote yeah. village somewhere, you can do upgrades. But like I run mine inside a data center. I've got surplus computers. I can just turn them off and on again. That's fine. Yeah, I guess that's the reality for most people. So yeah. even if you, for example, would say, hey, this is just something we don't aim to spot in Gleam, at least not in the near future. Mm. I think that's a very valid trade-off to make. But I mean, that was also the story for OTP. And it's quite exciting that we've gone, oh, actually, no, we can do it. Yeah. So maybe maybe it was one of those things where, um, you know, someone has a spare few months and just scratches an itch and suddenly we have this awesome thing. And if we could think of a, a working group formed for, what was it, type interrupt between the different languages? And I don't think there's been much activity in it later, but you could imagine if, if that becomes a little more mature and we have, a, we have a standard way of expressing types between all the different languages, and then somebody starts working on this. It could be very much like the, the, I forget, the I forget which proposal it was, but the proposal that unified documentation across all of the Beam languages. So now you can see Erlang docs in Elixir, Elixir docs in Erlang, all that stuff. You know, we could have the same thing, but for type manifests of your cluster and then with the whatsapp type checker for erlang and the you know the the set theoretic types for elixir if those things will land and gleams just being gleam you know suddenly we start sharing all these all these manifests with each other and then we can use them for doing hot code upgrades and all this great stuff so we are kind of building all the pieces it's getting easier to do this all the time we just haven't got to the end yet i'm still kind of surprised that like people just cannot read the type spec information mm. at runtime and kind of use that for type checking because i mean it seems like it's only for dialyzer yeah i mean it, it's tricky right. like there's a mix of there's lots of people who don't who, who write I, i'm one of these actually lots of people who write the annotations and then don't use dialyzer because i personally find it a bit 
unfulfilling of a tool. Like I don't find I don't find it particularly useful. Like it's quite slow, and I find the error messages really confusing. So I just go, oh, I'm, I'm not finding this useful. I just this is a dynamic language. I do that. And so there's loads of packages that are wrong, probably written by me. I think that it's this, but it's actually something else, and I've never verified it. But even when you do use Dialyzer, I think there's lots of situations in which other type systems or other type checkers wouldn't allow it or say it was incorrect, but Dialyzer will. I think so. I think the philosophy of Dialyzer is no false negatives. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah. it's success typing. It's success yeah. typing. So, you know, in, in Gleam, if we can't tell it's correct, you, you're not allowed to do it. Like it has to be correct. And if, if, if your program crashes and you've not explicitly said it's going to crash, that's a bug as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I'm going to do something about it because I want to restrict the the program space as much as possible into like a really nice cozy little box where you can't really move much. It sounds quite unpleasant, but like it's a very comfortable box and it's very easy to get the stuff done you want to do. Well, Dialyzer, they want to make sure that there really is a problem before doing something. So if it complains, you probably really should fix it. But that means there's this whole space where things can go wrong. And Dialyzer can't be sure about it. So... How useful are the type annotations for things like making sure that your your upgrades are going to work? Maybe not very. Like it might be right in the optimal case, but I want to have much more certainty with that. Yeah, yeah. But, but point, even if sorry, but I'm still kind of stuck on this. Like, let's just like, why can't we have a way that we could just read that and say, okay, whatever. I know that Dialyzer wants to actually prove that what you say is true, right? Mm-hmm. But why can't we just say, okay, let's just accept that the type spec is true? Mm-hmm. And then somehow write some kind of type checking at compile time that says, okay, all this stuff. And then once we try to look for, like, try to do like a case statement on something that we don't have a match, we can just crap out and say, hey, this is wrong. That's the part I, I, think, never, I mean, can never really understand why we can never do that. I think, and you could use the same type annotations and then, you know, there's, there's a few different ways you can use them. You know, you can, there's the problem of trying to work out if your type annotations are actually correct for the individual implementations inside your functions, which is, you know, what Dialyzer tries to do. And there's no reason you couldn't keep that same interface of, you know, the type specs and then just write a different inference algorithm on top of that. So I, and I think that's what the WhatsApp uh, team are doing with their new type checker with a name that I can never remember. I don't think they've extended the syntax in any way. They've just used the existing one and then just given them more power to it, which is great because it means all of these libraries that have type annotations already, they can already use those. And it will just be sort of a value add over Dialyzer, hopefully. Like, the other way you could use it is you just ignore all of the implementation and you just say these type annotations are correct. And then you can't use it for sort of type checking in development as you would do normally, but you could use it for things like this upgrading system, as I've suggested. Like so long, so long as every function has an annotation, you could you could make sure that those annotations line up with whatever the cluster thinks those functions should have. Like that could also be useful. I think this kind of highlights the fact that um, when we talk about types, we're not really talking about one thing. It's really easy to say, oh. Gleam is Erlang with types, or Elixir is going to get types, or Erlang is going to get types. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we don't talk about dynamic types in that way. You know, we don't say, oh, it's going to be a dynamic type language. We all know that PHP and JavaScript and Elixir and Erlang are all dy- dynamically typed, but they've all got quite a radically different feel to them. And like the the implications of using that that runtime type system is quite different. So, you know, you, you can, if you like Dialyzer, you could argue that Erlang is already a statically typed language. And if you look at languages like C and Go, which are statically typed, but they're not as, I'm not sure what the word is, but yeah, you know, exactly. That's that sort of thing. You know, there's lots of ways in which you could 
make mistakes. It would, and that would be fine with it because that's the trade. That's the trade off they want, and that's the experience they want for the language. They can do other things as a result. But if I was saying Gleam is a you know strongly typed language, I would feel quite unsatisfied if it had the same experience as um, as oh, Dialyzer Erlang or, or, or C, for example. So it's kind of many beasts really there's there are useful things you can do with it but it just comes down to what exactly do you mean by types and what do you expect from that hi this is charles maxwood from top end devs and lately i've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level you know whether you're beginner going to intermediate intermediate going to advanced whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance i've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching yeah there's also a pretty good article from i don't know ovid yeah uh, where he says like what to know before debating type systems and uh, that's basically <laughs> the title and it, it goes into some of the details you just laid out it's like well, what is this when people say type systems there's like a whole bunch of different assumptions baked in mm-hmm. usually especially in some of the discussions we say like oh static type systems are shit and then they think of java <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's their whole yeah. experience with static type systems. So it's there's not an easy answer to like also the question static type systems, dynamic type systems, what is better, what is not, blah 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 blah. It's a, it's a complex situation to be in, and I would like to also add one note to earlier, like as you said, like a different influence argument from from from, from Dialyzer. There's actually a project a while ago which started, but I think it's it's dead now. That was called Gradualizer, where they mm-hmm. basically did exactly that. They took the tape yeah. type annotations, uh, as Dialyzer does, and, but then says, okay, like now we actually need, they need to match. They need to be true, not like Dialyzer. Uh, well, I think that what Dialyzer basically does is like a, if one path through your program can result in the right type, Dialyzer is going to mm-hmm. be like, yeah, okay, it, it's good. I'll do it. And it's also going. It also stops interfering at some point. Its complexity gets too high because yeah. when you see, when you think where Dialyzer originally came from, like as this thing added on top of the language, which at that point didn't have any kind of type checking, at least not at an aesthetically typed manner, then yeah, it makes sense. Like you don't want to have to rewrite your whole code base just because you run this thing all over it. But uh, in day-to-day work, if like if a greenfield project, some more rigor could sometimes be nice. Yeah, I definitely have. have, have I, the, my experience of dialysis so far has been that it's been more hassle than it's worth. Like every mm-hmm. kind of error I've found with dialyzer was always, ah, okay, I mistyped the type annotation here, which is has some value, but I've never actually found a bug with it. Like that hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet. And then when you, I also, found one. Oh, wow. Okay. found one bug. It wasn't in my code, though. It was in OTP. In OTP? <laughs> it's like some, some rarely used function, like deep, deep, deep down, um, has a slightly incorrect type annotation in a way that makes no difference whatsoever. So, like, it's fine. But it caused, like, a, like an entire terminal size error message that made no sense to me. Yeah. And it took me... Yeah, like three days of digging to try and work out where it was coming from. And that is exactly what I, what I was also found. I found wrong type annotations, mm-hmm. but I never found wrong code. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, uh, and also like I mean, I'm not sure if any of you has ever set uh, had had the pleasure of setting up dialyzer in a CI system without your CI build times blowing up ridiculously. Then you get into caching. Yeah. That's no bueno. So I think there's definitely room for better tooling here. And I would be very interested because there a while ago there was a bit of a discussion. I think it was an ElixirConf where Jose kind of opened up this can of worms and said like maybe types in Elixir are possible. There was like a discussion mm-hmm. on that. I'm not sure if you if you have an opinion on that, Louis. Care to share anything you think about that? Well, I'm I'm a type zealot, so yeah, they should do it. They should force everyone to use it. No, <laughs> I think I think I think the idea of being like yes types or no types is kind of silly. Like I think it's just about adding more tools that you can use. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like the formatter. If you don't like it, just don't use it. It's fine. You know what's the problem? And the experience they get with the spirit. Josie is clever. The core team is really clever. They understand that they need to be able to apply this to a language, to the language in a way that isn't going to be destructive, that isn't going to be, you know, isn't going to ruin the day for all of their many existing users. So they're going to find something that's really um, non-intrusive and you can retroactively apply to, to code bases. And I, I'm sure it's going to be absolutely amazing like everything else they've made. Gleam does not do that. If you had a massive code base and you wanted to add Gleam's type system to that, it would be absolute hell. So um yeah, don't do that. I mean, you can't do that. There's no way for you, there's no way for you to turn it off. You're you're doing it. So like the the two the two experiences are going to be so different. I'm not even sure you could really compare them in the same way. And that's great. You know, I I want to see more types on the beam because I think they're genuinely useful. And I I actually say I'm I you know I'm not, people talk about me with types because I've made this type thing, but I actually just really love static analysis. Like that's the real winner. And I don't really care. Like before I was writing type checker, I was writing linters. Like I wrote the first version of I wrote the project that Credo was a fork of, for example. I wrote the I wrote yeah Dogma. Was it Dogma? Yeah, Dogma, that's the one. You know, so I just, I love static analysis. I love the idea that you can just look at a program and not do any work and go, that's wrong. That can be changed, like this could be improved. Like that's so useful. I want I have this really powerful computer in front of me. I want to use it for more than just, you know, typing text and checking Slack and email. I really want it to help me with my job. And I think static analysis is a really powerful way to do it. So, yeah, I think they're going to do great. And I hope that they succeed. Also, they're they're really clever in the way that they keep... um, This might not ever happen. Like, every time they talk about it, like, this is just a research project. We may never land. We'll just, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Very clever. I mean, look at the odds. You just mentioned, sorry, you just mentioned about, like, the WhatsApp team working on types. Didn't they already have something and they they junked it? So this is like their second attempt doing types. Yeah, I'm not sure what's. I don't. I'm not privy to anything that's internal at WhatsApp. I, I used to have a few people who would like mess me. Oh, guess what's happening? This is exciting, but they've stopped talking to me now. So I guess they've left WhatsApp or something. But yeah, it, my impression was that they they started a project, announced it, and then quietly stopped it. And I'm not really sure why. And they then, after a little while, released it as open source. And I was quite surprised because it seemed to be written in Scala, which I didn't see coming, but there you go. But they just announced a new one, didn't they? They've also released the source at the time they announced it. And, excuse me, but it's also released, it's, sorry, it's also written in Scala, which makes me think it probably is a direct descendant of it, but it has a different name. So I don't really, I've not read, the, I've not properly read the source code for them. So I don't really know if they have different approaches or it takes the same approach and it's just evolved a lot or maybe it's made by different teams. I don't know, but it's, it's got a different name. So they feel it's different. So there, there is, I, there's a project called Equalizer with like... that. Yeah. That is that one. the new the, one or is that the old one? That's the new one, I think. And I, great team. You know, I know some of them lovely people, but 
Come on, guys, pick a better name. <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce it at all. Yeah, because I think it's WhatsApp because that's W A. That's why equalizer. Yeah. It's written fifty five percent in Erlang, thirty five percent in Scala, and nine point two percent in Rust. That's a wild mix. <laughs> Isn't it weird? That's and a wild the, mix. the the Scala is compiled to native using the GraalVM, so it doesn't use the JVM. It's a it's a really interesting looking project. And the the, the aesthetic type one is like uh, Earl E R L T. Earl T. And that's mm -hmm. an early prototype of like an experimental Erlang dialect with first class support for static typing, but the last update and that was 16 months ago. And I guess that's like that's the project which which kind of got abandoned and you're thinking of mm -hmm. Alan. So yeah. I'm gonna link all of that so, in the show notes, by the way, if somebody wants well, to check it out. Why use Scala? I'm so curious. I mean, obviously uh, Rust, we all know is it's Rust, right? But yes. uh, Scala, um, I mean, does it? I mean, it seems like they wrote this CLI in it. Is it good with CLIs, or what's the story? Do you have any idea? I don't know. I, I was really surprised because I thought there was two ways it could go. It would either be Erlang because you write the Erlang thing in Erlang, right? That makes sense to me. But I thought the other way it could go is is um, OCaml because I know that Facebook has a big OCaml team, and a lot of it is to do with static analysis. So. I, do you remember Flow? You know, it was like the TypeScript alternative. That was written in a camel. And Python type checker, I think, is also written in a camel. So it's like, oh, it's going to be another OCaml thing. It's probably going to use the same, I don't know, core libraries or something as other ones. And then it pops up in a scala. It's like, oh, I've absolutely no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> very cool, though. You know, um, I, if, if, you know, we can be in a world where both big, the big daddy languages on the beam have time check and that'd be awesome um, and i'll be like oh maybe i influence that a little bit just sort of be in the corner like, yeah we can do it <laughs> i'm definitely Actually, interested to see like how, how we go from here also like with types on, on the beam i definitely feel like gleam is the project which popularized popularized and mainstreamed at least in our niche this discussion mm. more like it has definitely created some waves and i'm not for example i'm, I'm not sure if like this whole discussion about types in elixir would have been happening if not for gleam um, uh, i don't know how you'd measure that i don't know if it's true but i really i kind of hope it is it's a, it's a lovely feel like so gleam sort of started me trying to scratch my own itch and you know it's been super satisfying to make this thing that i actually think is really good and the fact other people are using it as well that's awesome uh, and having fun of it It may be that we never get to the point where you know it has the same traction that Elixir and Erlang has, where there's loads of businesses running it. Like I think, I think we're well on the on the path to go to getting there. But if it all falls apart at some point and we don't get there, like it still would have been super satisfying. But if we can just have a sort of knock on effect of you know that thing I said earlier of like oh you can't type OTP, you can't type Erlang. If we can just dismiss that idea and get other portions of the, the wider communities to start experimenting with with types and, and apply it to these other these other parts of the ecosystem that's such a huge amount of value that's come out of there and that's that's awesome that would be such a huge success i think if i've contributed to that in some fashion yeah do you know any like what's the current status with the elixir type checking or just you just know as much as we know which is just they announced it yeah i i haven't had much the last i was properly talking to them was when they were doing the the previous round of type checking when they were started building a bunch of stuff with guards so you know if you use a struct incorrectly it tells you you're missing a field or something like that but i i sort of got the impression that that project had finished and you know i no one was inviting me to any secret types talks anymore talks like little little discussion things but yeah and then this thing came and i was like oh wow that sounds really cool I'm really interested to come. We'll see what comes from it because I have I don't really know what a set theoretic type is either. So 
seems seems very fresh. Yeah, so I, I can I can only speculate. You can go home and open up your uh, type book because I think you recommended a type book last time you were around or or something. <laughs> yeah, funny. I think it's a book of types like, or something. I think it's super new. Isn't the guy they're working with the person who invented it? I, I need to go read his thesis or something. It's super fresh. None of my old books have it. Gleam's type technology is all like nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties kind of stuff, which I I think you know good and proven, but good and proven for a particular kind of language, which is not Elixir. So I, I used to feel a bit. People say, "Oh, you know, wh- why do you need Gleam if Elixir is going to get typed? Or why does why doesn't it just like type Elixir or type Erlang, and then you don't need to do this whole language bit?" And that that was a really hard question to ask at first. But I think the longer I've been doing this, the more it's become clear to me that types are many different things. You know, we, this is a very broad term, and what is good for Elixir and what's good for Erlang is not good for this thing that I've now created, like the experience, even when they've got finished, even if they're wildly successful and they've got all the typing they could ever want, it's still going to be a very different experience, I think, in, in Elixir and Erlang and Gleam. For example, I believe the Erlang folks not planning to have exhaustive, exhaustiveness checking. That being, so if you've got a, a type that is a union of, oh, for example, a result tuple, you know, it could be okay data, or it could be error reason, you know, if you forget to pattern match on one of those things, like you probably wouldn't because it's only got two. But you know, if you had if you had a similar one that has many more variants and you forgot to pattern match on one of them, I think the plan is for the Erlang one not to tell you because that's not something they intend to support in their type system because of whatever constraints or whatever experience they want to get. In Gleam, we would consider that to be like a huge problem. Like we really want you to know about mm. all the different variants and all the different paths through your code. So you know. You, there's a trade-off there and it will result in a, a hugely different experience. So like, yeah, I think even if we get everything to be super typed, there's still really good reasons to pick like Elixir over Erlang or Erlang over Elixir or Gleam over Elixir or, you know, whichever one you fancy. Yeah, I love the exhaustive checking. Like, I hated it when I ran into Elm, <laughs> but after getting used to it, I was like, this is really awesome. And then yeah. Rust does it. And uh, yeah, I just feel like if you don't do it, yeah, I don't know what's what's wrong with you. Yeah, awesome, awesome idea. <laughs> it is definitely one of those things where, like, it just like you start using one of these languages and it just beats you, you and it, it just feels horrible. It's like, oh, I just want to do. Let me compile my code and run. It's like, no, it's not good enough yet. <laughs> very, very depressing. And after a while, you're like, oh, actually, no, I see what you're see what you're on about now. This is pretty good, isn't it? Isn't it kind of, of I, Stockholm syndrome or something? <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, I, this beating is the only way I know how to get get to sleep at night anymore. But it's it, I can't. It's one of these things where, like, I recommend everyone learn it, but I reckon I also acknowledge that it's probably going to ruin a lot of other languages for you. Because every time, every time I'm using a language, it doesn't happen. Like, oh man, I really wish I had this thing. I think it's interesting. And, like, Elm also was the language which where I first came into contact with that, and I, I immediately loved it. I was like, oh, this is great. And now when I change it, it tells me I missed it over here. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I, I for a short while I, I had this. This mad idea of building my own portfolio website with Elm. I, I, I ditched it after a while. <laughs> but uh, when I, that was just so amazing when I added a new page and it immediately told me, okay, over there and there and there, yeah. that's where you need to change it. You need to change things now. That was just, that was a pleasure. I think you just got to know. So I think, I think the, the biggest impact that these really strong type systems have is it changes the way that you write code. Yeah. You know, like, so when, when I'm doing, Elixir and Erlang and, or JavaScript or, you know, Ruby or whatever. I always, I always find that I um, sort of try and, 
how, how am I going to express this as a metaphor? It's going to be very strange. But, uh, you know, I start from the start point and I want to go over here and I just sort of like dig directly towards that thing. And then I've just got the go from the beginning to success as quickly as possible. And then I sort of like slowly expand out and fill out all of the edge cases and error, error handling and all that stuff that I need to do. Because I want to get to that point where I can start doing that first like end-to-end test, whether it be like unit test or integration test or REPL or something like that. You just can't do that really with, a strong static type system and if you try and apply that that te- the earlier technique or any other technique which is uh, you know super productive in those languages and try and do it this way it feels bad and like i can really understand why people say oh i don't like types because it just takes away a whole bunch of familiar tools but it gives you some other ones like you've got to you've got to take the time to learn this thing if you, uh, as you said like oh i just make a little change and it says here 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 like oh actually that's a really nice workflow if you think of your workflow as like stating what kind of change you want to make and then the computer goes okay here's how you do it that's super nice but yeah you gotta you gotta be willing to do something a bit different so but we we kind of went on a tangent here so i I have one last question i would like to to bring us back onto the the gleam topic and that is Mm -hmm. i mean you know i said okay you kind of tackled this whole otp thing in the first in the beginning everybody said like oh it can't be done and you also said, okay, there might be other things, but is there anything else concrete in the works right now where you say, okay, this is something we're working on in Gleam, something we want to get better at? I do know that, like, for example, the tooling has become a lot better in the mm-hmm. recent months. So anything else exciting to share? I think that, like, the language server is also a thing you're working on. So. Yeah. There, so there's a few additions to the language that we really want. So we've got exhaustiveness checking, but it's kind of, it's not it's not complete basically like mm-hmm. it will basically it just won't always tell you if your if your thing is not exhaustive because it turns out exhaustiveness, exhaustiveness checking is a really hard problem in computer science and so yeah you've got to sit down and read a lot of papers and work out how to implement it optimally and we've i think we've like zeroed in on an algorithm we want to use and you know we we have done all the research and we've got all things but we just need to somebody probably me needs to sit down and spend like a month or two working on that thing so when we have that that'd be really awesome that'd be like one of the, the biggest things done other than that i really want to have optional arguments is something that we've been planned for a long time but haven't done it string interpolation that sounds really dull but like that's a really nice quality of life thing that we don't have there's just a couple of little things like that in core language but the the main work is probably going to be outside of the language so that's kind of cool like the core language is pretty pretty much there the main work is going to be in tooling. And so we built a language server protocol, language server protocol server, a language server this year. And that's been really awesome because now we're starting to get all these IDE features inside, you know, inside every editor you could ever want. But it's really highlighting that the the architecture of the compiler is not designed for a language server. It's designed for just straight up compilation. And it's we've stretched what we've got in order to fit with that. But really, to make a really good language server, we need to change a bunch of things inside the, the, the compiler. So if you're compiling source code to run, you only really care if it succeeds or fails. If it doesn't pass, okay, I just stop. I don't need to do anything more. Oh, it, it, this function doesn't type check? Okay, I just stop. I don't need to do the rest. But if you're if the whole point is that you're continuously passing and type checking and learning things about the code while someone's editing it, the majority of the time it's going to be wrong, right? So we want you to be able to type check 98% of your program and still tell you things about it. That's really annoying. I now need to change all of these algorithms that like succeed or <laughs> fail to mostly succeed and still gather useful information about it. And it's something where 
And I've built a load of clever things into the code to like make sure that it definitely succeeds or fails. And now they are less than worthless. They actively hinder me. So I need to restructure a bunch of stuff. It's it's a shame. It's one of these things where if I had realized that we needed to do this at the beginning, it would be a bunch less work for us now, but not not quite as much work in the run up, which is a real shame. But it's not it's not a huge and the, the, the compiler is actually quite easy to refactor. So we'll get there. It just means there's going to be a period of less user facing features than you might see otherwise. But that's okay, because I'm actually ramping up the number of hours I'm doing in Gleam. So you'll see about the same number of things go through the pipeline. But there'll also be really dull things like I've changed the metadata serialization format. I've changed the this to do that, etc. So that's going to that's gonna be really cool. And once we have this incremental, you know, very incremental compiler, the language server and the tooling will be able to do so much more. And I think we could get an experience close to like what you get in some Java, Java IDEs and, and Rust with Rust analyzing and stuff, like really, really nice tooling. And because it's actually a core constraint, core constraint, a core concern of the, you know, the language team, like me and whoever's decides they want to help out, we can reuse the whole compiler. And I think we can make a language server much faster than a lot of other ecosystems can. And it will be capable of doing a lot more than a lot of other ecosystems can do because we have the full power of everything that the compiler can do rather than what well, a language server is. It tends to be in other ecosystems. They just have to implement their own version of the front end of the compiler mm. from scratch. That hurts. That, that's a lot of work. But well, we've already made that. You know, we just need to reuse it. I need to change the shape of it now, but that's okay. We can do that. We're still going to get, we're still going to move faster overall than um, making a whole new one. Yeah, and I think that that's definitely like I can already see how how that work contributes then towards also the, the the ease of use for language, right? Because I mean, yeah. I I just know for a fact if you like have slow response from from editor, I think everybody of us knows that like this is just painful, right? Like, I mean, yeah. just just tell me what's wrong already. <laughs> Don't annoy me with with, with 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 errors from the language server or whatever from the extension. Just just be like this is like something where, where you really only appreciate a good integration when you see the bad yeah. one basically yeah but i think i think it's kind of a saving grace the fact that everyone most other ecosystems are you know there's somebody who has decided to make a language server and they're an absolute hero and they have you know built this thing from scratch and they've done a great job but like it still actually doesn't do very much if you compare it to like some of the really amazing ones that are either come from huge companies or there's just a you know a genius at the wheel like the rust analyzer language server is absolutely incredible or like the all the stuff that comes out of JetBrains, like that's all amazing mm-hmm. but most of them are kind of rubbish like not to disrespect any of the people who work on um ones for you know other lang- other languages like i don't know i don't know like the, I don't, I don't know which one to pick because I don't know. I, 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 I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to take it off your hands and say, <laughs> I'm very grateful that we have an Elixir language server, but it yeah. keeps crashing on me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's just such a hard thing to make. And I think as a result, we've all, you know, we've all got expectations are not super high. Like the, the little that they can give you is so useful and so valuable, but I know we can do so much better and I'm really excited about what we're going to be able to do once we've got the compiler into shape. It's going to be super cool. Super, super, super cool. Like click on a type and generate things from it. It's going to be so nice. Nice. I'm kind of itching. I still have this, like a few weeks ago, Adi and me spoke about um, side projects also. And I still have this one idea I really want to build up because it's also scratching an itch of mine. And I'm kind of tempted. I, I was always, I was planning to do it in Elixir, but huh? Maybe, maybe, maybe hey. I might be using Gleam. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
Okay, Adi, Alan, do you have any anything, any questions you'd like to ask before we kind of transition to picks? Because we're nearing the one-hour mark. I was say, I just have some praise, like, great job for kind of keeping this thing forward. I mean, I don't know if I can keep so focused on something and anything. So I'm happy that you are keep moving on this one, especially because I keep hearing, oh, yeah, I did this, I did that, I made a new language. It's like you make a new language all the time. But Gleave's still running, and it's doing better and better every time, you know, we you talk about it. Thank you. Yeah. I think one of the saving graces is now so big that there are multiple different things I can work on. Like I work on tooling for a bit and I get it working like, oh God, I'm really tired of tooling. Okay, well, I'm going to work on the type checker. Oh God, I'm really tired of typing. Oh, I'm going to work on NTP. So like it has branched out a bit, but um, yeah, being being stubborn at the beginning really helps. But see, so, yeah, thank you. Or maybe, sorry, actually, I do have one question. Do you mind to talk a little bit about your, your sponsors? Because I think it's good to kind of get them out there since they're sponsoring in some kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Gleam is financed by people very kindly sponsoring on, on GitHub sponsors. So if you like Gleam, you should, you should hop on and get help and, and you know, give me a dollar and buy me a coffee and stuff. But we've got two corporate sponsors who have been absolutely amazing. And they are, I don't know, probably the majority of the money comes from those guys. And they are what me, that, they are the guys who make it possible for me to be able to you know, spend most of my time working on Gleam, which is really exciting. And if we get more people doing that, we can go, I can go full time and it's just going to get faster and faster. So, you know, super, super huge thank you to Fly.io and Alembic for, for their excellent support. Yeah, but you definitely should support Louis because I think Ari and me are both supporting. So all all listeners are basically obligated to also <laughs> join join the cool Gleam gang. Yeah, yeah join the cool club. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ari, anything from you? No, I just want to apologize. My uh, CEO and a couple of board members just woke up in the Pacific time and with like a bunch of crazy questions and i've been like every time i want to bring up a tangent i've been distracted i'm so sorry i feel terrible but yeah again just want to thank louis again for all the work and we are definitely i'm gonna say we're about a couple months away from mm-hmm. using gleam in production at my company wow. yeah we uh, have a couple really good candidates for type system uh, i think generally complex algorithmically complex problems mm-hmm. are great uh, candidates for that to move the complexity to compile time from runtime, as you were saying, static analysis, right? So I'll reach out to you the day after we deploy our first uh, green code in production. That's awesome. That's so cool. Thank you so much. But uh, also, reach out beforehand as well. I, I'm super happy to help out with anyone's uh, Gleam projects and it's always really cool to hear what people are doing and th- this sort of generally goes, if there are things that people will find useful when they're making their applications or whatever they're making, you know, that can influence the order of you know what comes next. Good example would be like the JavaScript backend when when Peter needed a JavaScript back the JavaScript backend to the Gleam compiler for something to do with startup at the time. It was something that was planned, but we just moved it forwards because that was useful at the time. So yeah, let let people know what you do. I'll be I'll be very curious. If nothing else. Nice. Okay, then unless somebody's going to scream now, then I'm going to transition us to picks. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's screaming. <laughs> yeah. So let. Who wants to start this week? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Adi, Adi, why don't you start with pics? I, I trust you affair with that little eeny, meeny, miny. Let's do, yeah, let's start with like related pick. Uh, SpawnFest 2022 is up on the website. You can use any Beam languages, including Gleam there. I'm planning on using 
at least partially gleam this year. I wanted to use it last year, but I couldn't because my teammates were co-senior engineers. This time I picked a couple junior engineers. I can basically do what I want to do. So <laughs> I'm excited for that. It's basically, people who don't know, it's a 48-hour long free hackathon. You can use Beam-related languages and like resolve problems or whatever. And it's like judged by prominent Beam people. It's free of charge. And yeah, you get prices, gift cards and all that stuff. Pretty much it's guaranteed that you'll get some price because the participation to sponsorship ratio is such. So so yeah, there's your incentive to participate. Another pick is uh, stream data for property-based testing. I actually finally used it a couple of months ago and it's been working so well for us. Uh, I know there's proper in Erlang, which is a bit more complex, but if you guys just want to do basic property-based testing, just data generation, simple test, no storing states and all that stuff. You don't need to use proper if you're already in the Elixir train. Check out stream data. Andrea from the core team wrote it. It's really easy to use. Literally, will take you five minutes to set up your first property test. It's that simple. So highly recommended. I'm going to do a repick what Sasha picked a couple weeks ago and or maybe three weeks ago and inspired me to pick up this book, which I'm a huge fan of. Specification, by example, part two, Sasha, is Yay. amazing. Great pick. Yeah, it's it's if you want to be a lead engineer, have been a lead engineer. It's yeah, it's it's really awesome. As an engineer, my problem has always been and it's an ongoing, you know, uh, learning to try to communicate better with non-engineers and be more, you know, goal-oriented, company goal-oriented when I communicate with uh, non-engineers. And this book, on top of, you know, uh, communication stuff, it's it's really, uh, on top of all the things that Sasha mentioned, it's also helped with communications as well. So highly recommended. Yeah, please go and check it out. And my video game pick for this week is, so Amazon Prime, and, you know, uh, we can talk about whether they suck or not, and I'm sure people have different opinions about Amazon, but one good advantage of having Prime is they're going to, they're starting to give out free video games every month, Uh, a AAA game every month. It's going to start in September. And September's free game is AC Origins, which is one of the best Assassin's Creed games, according to me. So if you want to play AC Origins for free and you already have a Prime account, you can order it for console or PC or whatever you want. So check it out. It's free and have fun. Nice. It makes me so happy, Ali. <laughs> okay, Alan, what are your picks for this week? Yeah, I just have one. I already sent it into the chat a while back, but it is... What did I choose again? It's a new live view book from Prague. And uh, it's basically how yeah, building tables with table views with Phoenix, right? So I've been trying to get more and more back into live view. It's just another book. I think the, the, you know, what they give you is pretty good. You know, how to do like infinite scroll, how do you sort data, all this kind of stuff with uh, live view. So I think if you want to get more and more into live view, it's, they, may, they have a really interesting quote in there where it's like, well, I forget what they gave, but like basically most of your life is building forms and tables. And so they teach you half of that. And uh, I'm working on a project and I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm doing the APIs at least. And so, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to actually move that stuff over to live view instead of using a stupid SPA. So uh, this one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be happy using in my work and just surprising people with. So that's my pick. I think it's really interesting that you picked this book because, fun fact, the author, I used to work with him. So <laughs> small world, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, he knows what he's doing, right? I mean, silence. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to be good. <laughs> it's too long ago. It's like, it's like, I don't know, four years he was still an early career developer at that point. So it's interesting to, 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 to see people grow, you know, like I, I definitely can't make a judgment on his today's skill set. It's, I think, yeah, four years could be about right. So, but yes, yeah, still, I mean, still kind of I, funny. Like when I saw the author, I was like, what? I know that guy. 
Yeah. I, I got high hopes for this book and he seems pretty good, but I just like I got three pages in so far and uh, I'm excited so far. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Louis, do you want to do some picks? Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've got one that got, I got an Erlangy techie one, which I'm really excited by. I, I don't know if you are familiar with Lumen, but it has since been renamed to Firefly. And this is a beam language, like mostly Erlang to, let me try that again. It compiles Erlang to native to via LLVM. So this is really cool, I think. If this matures sufficiently, we could compile our Gleam and Elixir and Erlang programs to native binaries that run super fast, boot really quickly, you know, a single file you can just drag onto another computer and run it, or to, to WebAssembly that you can run almost anywhere. So I think that's super exciting. And the project kind of stopped a little while back. And I've just found out this week that, hey, they're, they're alive and kicking, it's still going. So yeah, really excited to see that. And for my less techie one, or different kind of tech, I've bought a Steam Deck, or rather I bought one a year ago and it's finally arrived and I've just played, and it's really good, you should check that out actually, but I've just played uh, The Forgotten City, which is sort of a ancient Rome mystery game. Oh, it's so good. It, there's there's not really, there's a little bit of combat, it's a bit rubbishy, but the writing is fantastic, the story is fantastic and the world is fantastic, so check that out. That's really cool. And yeah, that's my picks. Nice, nice. Yeah, Steam Deck, it's, I'm still debating with myself. <laughs> <laughs> they have to change the name. They have to change the name for me to buy it. Steam Deck, just, I don't know. No. Nope. <laughs> that's not the issue. It's like mostly, I already have such a backlog of things. I have a Switch and I have a bunch of games on the Switch I haven't played it. I have a bunch of games on my Steam library I haven't played it. And then I'm still sitting here like, do I really need this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just really love that I bought a Linux computer purely for gaming. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's, yeah. that's true, yeah. But don't you have to install Windows on it for s- certain things to run properly or something? Again, I, 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 don't, ha- I don't have experience, but I've heard. I, I don't know how they do it. I think they've like forked Wine and made it really amazing because these games are not released for Linux, but they run perfectly. And I have yes. no idea how. It's just it's just magic. <laughs> a magic box with your games on it. It's really cool. Nice. Okay, then I'm going to close this off with two picks. I don't have a techie or whatever pick today. I have two nerdy picks. Uh, Well, not really nerdy. One is not really nerdy. One is just popcorn entertainment. Um, And the first pick is a series I've been watching very and enjoyed very much. uh, That It's called The Boys. And it's on Amazon Prime Video. And the premise is superheroes are real. But let's be honest, in our capitalistic world, what would really happen? And there's basically this super huge company, which is most of the heroes under contract. And it's a very dark and gritty kind of, to be honest, dystopian version of today with superheroes being real and also abusing their powers on the regularly. Because, I mean, if you're fucking Superman, like, what what is the police going to do, right? (laughs) So, yeah, it's a very, very interesting watch. And the, the, the plot is basically that like a bunch of average Joe people, guys, they all been wronged by superheroes. They make out and want to get revenge on superheroes, which as is just an average Joe. So it's a very interesting series. It's a very interesting watch, very entertaining. It's definitely not for the faint-hearted. There is gore, but it's 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 definitely something I've been enjoying a lot lately. Um, the Boys. What is it called again? The Boys. The Boys on Amazon Prime. And my other pick is a card game I've been playing a lot lately with friends, and basically everybody I played with loved it. It's called Kaboom. 
And it's very simple game where you need, I get four cards. You don't know what, what's on that cards. So you can look at two at the beginning and then you need to get like the lowest sum of points on the cards. They go from zero to 13. And yeah, it's just, it's a lack of, it's a game of luck, tactic and, and memory. And it's definitely something very easily, easy to pick up, even for people who don't usually play games. And still there's a lot of depth to it. So I'm very much enjoying it and easy to take with you also. Like I've been just ch- chucking it in my backpack wherever I go <laughs> and it's, it's easily explained and easily played. So check out Cabo. Those are my two picks for this week. Okay. Louis was a pleasure having you. Thank you. It's been really fun. I hope to come back for a third time. Maybe, maybe we can start Glean podcast. Adi, Adi, my, Ooh, Adi, that might be something. <laughs> Adi's always, yeah. always nodding. <laughs> so, someone, was, someone was talking about making a, a, a mailing list as well. So it's all, it's all starting. It's happening. It's real. It's real. There's social media for it. It's real. Okay. Then, yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, thanks for being here, Alan and Adi. It was a pleasure as usual. And tune in when we have another episode of Elixir Mix. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.